the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website, and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. I will be joined in a moment by Brad Geiger, and we'll be discussing the extension of the Rocky Mountain Showdown, which is now scheduled into the late 2030s, review the quotes of note from the first half of CU Spring Practices, and answer some questions that you put into the See You at the Game mailbag. As always, your questions and suggestions are appreciated. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast at your favorite site, and please give us a review. For now, just sit back and enjoy, as Brad and I bring you a recap of the first half of the CU Spring Practices 2021 Okay. Well, it's another day. It's another podcast. And I understand it's another spring day of snow in Highlands Ranch today. How's Brad doing? Brad is okay. And with the hope that spring's eternal has a tea time for Sunday, even though it's snowing on Thursday. So we'll see how it goes. Yes. Well, well, at least your spring, you can do that. <laughs> My day of snow is followed by a day of not quite as much snow. You know, so uh, we got past the Easter snow. And now we got a plan for the Mother's Day snow. And once we get past that, then we're going to start thinking about spring. So it will be coming soon. Uh, fortunately, Sue has an indoor practice facility. Not that it matters in terms of access to the public, whether it's indoor or outdoor, but they can at least conduct a practice uh, without having to worry too much about the elements if they choose to go indoors. So we were about at the midway point of spring practices. We thought it'd be a good time to talk about what we've learned, or at least what we've been told about the first half of spring practices for the University of Colorado. And then we've got some mailbag questions, but I'm going to start off by asking about the news of the week, which was not a mailbag question, but it sure probably would have been if we had time. The University of Colorado and Colorado State University have extended the Rocky Mountain showdown into what will be well into our retirement years. 2039, I believe, is the last game of the, the extended series. Six more games were added. For those that haven't been paying attention or didn't hear the news, that's there were two games already scheduled for 2023-2024. Then starting in 2029, it'll be a home-and-home, on-and-off again, Two years on, two years off, all the way through 2039. 
giving us eight games between Colorado and Colorado State over the next 18 years. So, Brad, as someone who attended the very first Rocky Mountain Showdown, I believe the game in Dallas, that was at 96. I have a picture in my office of the two of us and Tony and Julie and Charlie and Chip at the pregame party, um, tailgate party for the first Mile High Stadium, the old Mile High Stadium, Rocky Mountain Showdown. So we've been doing this for a quarter of a century. What was your reaction? What are your thoughts about extending the contract for the Rocky Mountain Showdown? Well, my reaction was that I was not particularly surprised. There are and remain political and other forces in the state who have some interest in this game, quite apart from those of us who live and die for CU football. There's no doubt. I can remember the heady days of when we first did that, and it seemed exciting. Um, It certainly has become less so. I think the hope is that if we do home and home and then take a break, there will build up some anticipation for it. Never been my favorite thing. Don't love having to play a team in a conference that clearly is diverging from the big five. So while I would not have advocated for it, I was not surprised to see it happen. Okay. Taking that. Well, first of all, Colorado is not going to play three power five conference schools in non-conference play. That's, I mean, Stanford's the only one out of 130 schools doing it this year or 65 power five schools that are playing three other non-conference games against Power 5 schools. CU is playing two this year and has two scheduled for a number of the next number of years throughout the rest of the decade for the games that have been scheduled. So given that we're not going to play three Power 5 schools, that means you're going to play a group of five schools, hopefully not too many 1AA or FCF schools. Does it not make sense to have a rivalry game in there, whether it's against Air Force, which is coming up in the interim years here, and then against Colorado State? Seems to me to make a modicum of sense. If you're going to play a G5 school, you might as well get a sellout. And doesn't cost too much to travel to Fort Collins, and it's going to be a sellout. You're going to generate some actual interest in the Denver media, which is hard to do for the University of Colorado. I agree with you. I, I think the two-on, two-off is a good compromise, that the rivalry will not get stale by playing every year and gives Colorado the opportunity to play other rivalry games, whether it's an Air Force rivalry or maybe get Wyoming back in the fold or something like that, that will keep the interest alive in the rivalry without making us have to play Colorado State every year and one thing i don't know if you notice the dates of the games they're generally like the 14th or 15th of september which means and not that rick george would listen to me but it's something i've been advocating for decades do not play colorado state the first game of the season if you're going to play csu that's fine do not give them the entire month of august to prepare and i will run this stat until it no longer is relevant that we've only lost to CSU once in the last 60 years when the game was not the first game of the season. And that was Dan Hawkins first year in 2006 when he lost the second game of the year to Colorado state after wait for it, losing to Montana state in his opener. 
every other time since the late 50s when we have played Colorado State, something other than the first game of the year, CU has won that game. So getting them every other year, two years on, two years off, get sellouts, generate local interest. No, I'm not a huge fan, and I don't see how you're going to get a two-for-one deal out of this type of thing. There's lots of debates on the message boards about, you know, why didn't we get two-for-one? I really don't think unless you've got a 90,000 or 100,000-seat stadium, you're going to get that two-for-one type of deal because our stadium is not that much bigger than CSU's at this point. So there's not as much of a reason or justification. If you're Ohio State and you've got 100,000 seats and you're playing – Akron, both schools are going to want to play in Columbus, you know, because you can put 100,000 people in the seats. That's just math. So I don't know. I mean, there's, if nothing else, I mean, the fact that it's generated so much interest on the message boards gives you an idea of how much interest there is in this game. And to just discontinue it indefinitely, like you say, probably didn't make much sense. It was not ever really on the table. So if you're going to do it, spread it out. Two years on, two years off. After 2023 and 2024, we have a six-year break. We'll see how much, you know, a five-year break. We're going to see how, you know, much interest is generated once we get to the end of the decade and start playing them again. Well, and, you know, we will have a good period of time to see if what some of us fear is going to be an even larger discrepancy between the big five and the power five is going to get worse and how that's going to apply and what's going to happen. I would dearly love for CSU to remain a competent football program, able to fill their stadium. Count me on the skeptical side of that prediction. Wow. Okay. Well, and there are skeptics that wonder whether or not the university of Colorado is still going to be a power five or what might happen if there goes to a mega conferences of four 16 team conferences or something like that, that uh, that will change everybody's scheduling. So these are contracts, but as we found out this past year, nothing's written in stone. Did you see the quote from the uh, Steve Adazio about how they tried real hard to play in December last year and that it was the uh, efforts to get a game against Colorado was agendified. Um, <laughs> apparently there is a, a school at the university or the Colorado state university where they make up new words and he's teaching the master class, but, uh, apparently they wanted to play and the game was agendified. And that's why, uh, we didn't get to play CUSU last December. Yeah. We will completely forget that the Rocky mountain showdown only exists because CSU agendified it in the state legislature. <laughs> <laughs> we got along for 25 years between the late fifties and 1983 without CSU on the calendar, but you know, we won't, we won't go into that. We've, we've got a lot of the ground to cover. I didn't want to spend too much time on that. I do want to talk about some of the quotable quotes that we've been receiving. Of course, we have to take everything with a grain of salt. There's no public access. So we're getting a lot of quotes. I mean, I give, See you credit at least, you know, every after every practice, there is, you know, YouTube videos, Carl Durrell or assistant coach players have been on. There's at least three interviews that are going out and getting posted. So at least there's some, if not access, at least some information being dispensed. 
from the University of Colorado about spring practices. Of course, Arizona and Washington have opened spring practices to the public, and USC is having a spring game, which is actual spring game, not a spring showcase, an actual spring game. But we'll take what we can get. So let's not, I don't think we have time really to go through each unit, but let's start with the offense. Probably spend the most of our time where everybody's thinking is at the quarterback position. Of the quotes you've been hearing about the players and how they're doing this spring, what has stood out to you in the quarterback battle that most fans are most interested in? Well, you know, what, what first of all stands out is that there are n- no negative quotes about anything. You don't hear Carl Durrell walk out and say, gee, Shrout just threw three stupid picks today. That's not <laughs> happening. Um, if he did, that tape got deleted. <laughs> yeah, that, that did, you do not see on YouTube the overthrows or the misreads. That said, it is we are hearing the things we wanted to hear about Brandon Lewis that he's more comfortable, that he understands the system, that he is um, making the decisions that are necessary to be a starting quarterback. There's not really a doubt about his physical ability. It's whether or not he is mentally to the point he can lead this team. We're also hearing exactly the things we hope to hear about JT Shrout, and that is that he's got the talent, he has the experience, he knows what he's doing in a competitive huddle. So there's nothing disappointing certainly again the lack of detail doesn't tell us who's leading for the backup quarterback um the fact that uh Durrell finds it's necessary every time he talks about quarterbacks to show and throw in something about how good Sam Neuer's doing on the sideline um, yes. tells you that this is a long way from a deciding uh decision being made yes well i guess no news would be bad news. Um, so we'll take the good news as we get it. And yeah, it is encouraging when Brendan Lewis, and it's not just the coaches. I mean, he came on and said, you know, that it's more like high school now for him. He's feeling more comfortable that it's slowed down for him. You want to hear that type of thing and hearing JT Shroud saying, I'm picking up the offense. I'm feeling comfortable. Yeah. You certainly hope that they would say that, but it's nice that they are in fact saying that now, Sam Neuer, before we forget, and this is, okay, this is my quiz for the podcast that will get you in trouble. Sam Neuer, before we forget about him and write him off as third string for this fall, was second team all Pac-12 last year. I Granted, it was a half a season. Granted, it was a small number of games to quantify, and he did play more, had more troubles at the end of the season. Might that had something to do with the fact that he had a shoulder surgery at the end of the season. Might have been that he was playing injured, playing hurt the last couple of games. But he was voted second team All Pac 12. So, your quiz for the day when was the last time a Colorado quarterback received first or second team, or I'll even give you a third team, all conference? And your hint is the fact that I didn't say All Pac 12. Um. <laughs> Yes, even in 2016, Cepho Lufau was honorable mention, all Pac-12. Steven Montez was honorable mention 2017. But in all the years we've been in the Pac-12, we have not had a first or second team all Pac-12 quarterback until 2020 in Sam Neuer. Wow. So how far back do you think you have to go to find an all-conference 
quarterback at the University of Colorado? I would say it was pre-Cody Hawkins. Definitely pre, yes, definitely pre-Cody Hawkins. Boy, I now, and now we have crossed over. I do not recall who yeah. might have been third team Big 12. It was a third team all Big 12. Apparently, Pac-12 does only goes first to second in an honorable mention, but there was third team all Pac, all Big 12. The last quarterback, even, even Joel Klatt was only honorable mention. The last time we had a third team all-conference quarterback was Mike Machete, and it wasn't even in 2001. It was 1999. So Bobby Pesavano didn't get it. Mike Machete. So we, we haven't had an all-conference first or second or third team quarterback in the 21st century until Sam Neuer came along. And Buff fans are all ready to put him on the sideline, give him a clipboard. So the problem, you know, Danny Lansdorf, you know, said we've got a great competition, got three or even four counting Drew Carter quarterbacks that are capable, you would certainly think that fans would be enthused by put up a poll just before we went on the air about, well, is that the old saying about if coach says he has two quarterbacks, what he's telling you is that he has none. Or is this a genuine competition and Buff fans should be excited about the future? I think, as I've said, um, Sam Neuer showed us his floor in the Utah and Alamo games but the, uh, he also showed us, I think, I fear his ceiling as a the dreaded game manager. Yes. Um, a guy who will, if not win you games, at least keep you in games, give you that opportunity. And that's not a bad thing. Yes. So I do think it is a real competition, but I think to win that competition, Lewis or Shrout are going to have to show that they can make more big plays, that they can be more dynamic. Because I don't think either one of them is probably going to show that they can outmanage Sam Neuer on the field with his experience. Yeah. So to be determined, probably mid-August before we actually have a starting quarterback that's going to be named. So just overall, the rest of the offense, I think probably the only thing that really stood out to me, and I'll ask if you have any other uh, quotes that you saw that really encouraged you or discouraged you, um, was the interview that Ashad Clayton gave talking about, I mean, remember back to December, he opted out of the Alamo Bowl. He didn't go to the game. There was great hand-wringing that he was unhappy, that he didn't want to stay at Colorado. He wouldn't come back to Colorado. And he gave a really good interview, very, I won't say touching, but at least, you know, talking about how, you know, he's a homesick freshman. And, his family, you know, really close knit mother, grandmother. And now he is, you know, all in on the University of Colorado. He's talking about Darian Hagan, his running backs coach. You know, he's a legend and I'm listening to him. And he's all about getting excited about being a buff. So that to me was very encouraging. Actually, a lot of the quotes you're hearing from the running backs, nobody's at this point. We will see when the semester ends and we hit May and the transfer portal starts spinning again, how many running backs, if all of them stay, but at least right now, they're all preaching very highly about being a part of the University of Colorado system and sticking around and being glad to be above. Anything from the running backs room or wide receivers, tight ends, offensive line, any other quotes of note that uh, stood out to you this uh, first half of spring practice? 
no, I mean, again, all of the with the with the exception of Clayton, and I agree with you that that was good news. There is a possibility he's going to bring a little bit more of a home run ability. Although everybody's uh, the quotes that I'm excited about is that Jarek Broussard being more explosive. Um, the thing he lacked last year was the top end speed. Um, you know, he appeared to be running with 17 pounds of leg brace. <laughs> so there's a little bit of run forest run in some of his. <laughs> well, Forrest broke out of his braces. If I remember the movie correctly, you know, so just have him do that at midfield somewhere. Um, so those are the things that make me happy. And I think Clayton, I think there is room, very much room uh, for more than one running back in this scheme. And so that made me feel good. Um, all of the usual suspects in the wide receivers room are coming out. Well, Chenault, of course, you know, is off field and not on field. And we need yeah. to figure that out. And then, you know, it's very difficult to get anything out of the wide receiver room because we've got 73 people trying to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing, I mean, Brandon Rice hasn't been practicing he had a dislocated finger and, you know, there was some COVID tracing issues and stuff. I mean, nothing that will keep him from playing in the fall, but he has not been a participant in the first half of the spring practices. The other news, I guess, would be the fact that we don't have enough healthy offensive linemen. Not that there won't be a good starting five or a good rotation of six or seven come September, but at least for the spring, it's been a concern. And even if there was a true spring game this year, it probably wouldn't be a true spring game this year because there just aren't enough healthy offensive linemen to field two teams. So it probably would have been, even if there had been a plan to have a full spring game, they probably would have dialed it back just because of the lack of offensive linemen that are healthy enough to, to participate in a, a full scrimmage. So not too worried about that, but it is a, a headline from the first half of spring that we don't have 10 offensive linemen that can line up and play in two shifts. Yeah, although we have, it sounds like we have our seven or eight rotation figured yeah. out. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, the bodies are there for for September. They're just not going to be there for April 30th. And mm -hmm. even though that's disappointing for some of us fanatics, that is not a dire consequence for the Buff Nation as a whole. Um, moving over to the defense, because we do have some mailbag questions I want to get to. Anything, I guess, probably the biggest news the first half is that Nate Landman's doing very well and ahead of schedule and everybody's excited about his progress. And sounds like, you know, the defensive backfield has some positive news coming out of there that everybody's excited about that. Again, take it with a grain of salt because we're not playing against live competition. And even if we were, we wouldn't know about it. The defensive line is always going to be the concern until it's not a concern. So anything coming out of the defensive quotes of note that uh, stood out to you in the first half? Um, the comments on Robert Barnes, who yeah. is not our most heralded transfer at that position, um, make me feel good. Obviously, we all want Nate Lambman to be back at his All-American status. But we were worried about depth there at the inside linebacker. And, uh, and if Barnes is able to come in and contribute, and one would think Oklahoma knows a bit about linebackers, um, <laughs> that would be, I think, a very pleasant surprise. I'm also excited that they have kind of more than once 
pointed out that Janez Jordan is stepping up. And we had in our previews said that our concern was, was he the guy, was he one of the guys that could step up and do the job? And truly the fact that they've talked about him more than once uh, makes me feel somewhat better than I had about the defensive line. Yeah. I think what you're talking about, uh, Chris Wilson, you know, defensive line coach, now defensive coordinator said that, you know, Jordan was a pleasant surprise that you talked about your ceilings. He's got a lot of growth in him, growth in him. He's got a really high ceiling. Well, that's encouraging when you're talking about a young defensive lineman who's going to be asked to do a whole lot more. You know, Mustafa Johnson is probably considering the COVID year and how many people are back. There aren't too many losses there that probably that's along with Will Sherman are probably the two biggest holes to fill um, on the entire roster. So any good news we get out of the defensive line, Terrence Lang isn't participating. He, like Sam Neuer, had shoulder surgery and is not participating. He's doing conditioning. Okay. So, yeah, I think that linebackers, if the two transfers, of course, we're not going to get the Notre Dame transfer until summer. But, as you say, Robert Barnes is here, is is in Boulder, is participating in practices and getting, if not rave reviews, at least positive comments, is good news for the University of Colorado. So, uh, before we go to the mailbag, any other quotes of note or any other comments about the first half of spring practices that uh, stand out to you? I thought it was interesting that uh, Durrell was very clear that he was happy that the defense was ahead of the offense. Yeah. Um, he clearly that I think, and, and Durrell doesn't always tell us his concerns, but I think he was concerned about the defense coming into spring. Um, and I think when he says that he's glad that they're better, it's probably a good sign. Durrell's always going to be a little bit of reading the tea leaves kind of guy. He's, he's, that's, that's more of an NFL attitude he takes and we're just going to have to live with that. But I think that comment in particular made me feel good. Yeah. And not that they would have to tell us, but there hasn't been any reports of any injuries of any great notes, you know, some nicks and things like that. that are keeping people out for here and there and day or two or resting or whatever, but there hasn't been, Oh, by the way, you know, we had two players go down with an ACL injury today. Not that I want that to become my, you know, knock on wood type of comment, but at least, through the first half of the spring, we haven't heard anything about any players going down with any injuries that's going to keep them out of participating in the fall fall camp or, or into the season. So good news on that front. Um, now, we did put out a request for some mailbag questions. There's a couple of questions that kind of were good. I'm just going to lump them all together. My apologies to Jen to Boston Buff and EP. These are, some of these are coming from... Uh, the comments section on the, the website. And before I forget uh, these quotes that we're talking about, I did do a couple of headlines, uh, quotes of note from the offense and quotes of note from the defense for the first couple of weeks of spring practice. So please check that out on the website. Got a question from Jenda talking about football school and what that was, and does it mean anything good or positive? What does that mean? Tie that into what Boston Buff and EP were talking about, that the coaches talked about being player-friendly. 
defense, especially on the defense, that um, letting them go and you know not having to think too much, I guess, would be the way of putting that, that they are going on instinct rather than sitting back waiting for something to happen that they're going um they already know their assignments they already know what they're doing that's part of what you get out of the football school that's what we were told anyway that it was more about education so that they can play fast that they can play in a pro player friendly system but again you know if you want to turn that on its head the negative part of that is that and this is you know part of the questions or part of what the discussion is that we don't have the system and the players in the system that can play well in a system. And then if you're going to have every year be player friendly, then you're going to have to adjust your system every year for the new players. And isn't it better to have a system in place that players adjust to and learn over the course of their time at the school, rather than say, we're going to adjust our system to what talents we have and make them player friendly and do the best we can for the players. So that's a, a long way to get around those questions that came from Jenda, Austin Buff and EP, but which is better? And are we afraid to have a player friendly system or is it a good thing that we've got enough talent now on the field that we can adjust our system to let the, let the dogs run and be an attacking defense. Well, um, yes, it, in a, it used to be unquestionably that if you were Oklahoma or Nebraska or Michigan, you under Bo Schembechler, you ran this kind of offense and you were able to recruit five stars that could run in that kind of offense. That's not true. Even at Alabama offense at Alabama runs ran last year has nothing to do with the offense that Nick Saban ran when he first came to Alabama. The offenses, you know, the, the offense and defense at Ohio State looked nothing like they did under Woody Hayes. We live in a world of the transfer portal. We live in the world where even great athletes have all the choices they could possibly want. And so coaches have learned that they need to adjust the system to fit the players they can get, but also adjust the system so they can get the players they want. Nick Saban figured out that he needed to be faster. He needed to have wide receivers who could get down the field and stretch the Georgia defense. Well, to recruit those players, you have to throw the ball. And so Nick Saban decided, okay, we'll throw the ball more. And we'll do that. And the SEC evolved along with that. So, yes, you can say, don't kowtow to the players. You have to have a system, that kind of thing. It's simply not how college football in an era of choice is going to work. So when you say we have a player-friendly system, what you are hopefully saying is we have a system that will work and takes into account both the needs and the skills of our players to make it so that they get the success that then builds on more success. Yeah. Well, and I think with the different offenses that you're going to face over the course of the season, there's lots of, I don't know why it's such a concern, you know, when you do rosters or depth charts, is it a three, four, is it a four, three? Are we doing, you know, five, you know, nickelbacks? It's like every play is an adjustment not just in every series, but every team that you're playing. I mean, every 
play is going to be an adjustment and we're not going to have the same lineup on the field, you know, for half the plays, much less a full game of, okay, this is our starting 11. So to have a system that is player friendly where you say, okay, we need to have you guarding the tight end on this play. We're going to have you guarding the running back out of the line, out of the backfield on this play. We're going to have you blitzing on this play. If you have a system or a structure where the player feels comfortable and they're not thinking, you have to hope that that is a positive development. And the players seem in the quotes, you know, from the interviews that they seem to be very happy with what the Carl Durrell and Chris Wilson are coming up with on the defensive side of all, that they are excited to be a part of that rather than, okay, my role is to go stand over here. And then if this person does that, then I'm going to have these three options. You can't function that way against the modern offense. That type of debate's been going on for generations, but I think you're getting enough talent on this team where you don't have to react and just hope that you have enough players in the right position to make the play and stop a third and seven with six yard gain that you're not going to worry about them gaining six yards on third and seven that you're going to sack the quarterback. And I think part of it has to do with having a strong cadre of quarterbacks, because if you don't have, if you have quarterbacks that can play man to man, if you have quarterbacks that can beat on an Island, you know, the lockdown cornerback, then you're not cheating the safeties over. You're not having the linebackers back up. You're letting them do other things rather than cover for the cornerbacks. And I think part of the fact that we've got with between Blackman and Gonzalez, you've got really two good cornerbacks and quality cornerbacks that will allow other things to happen on the defense. So is player friendly coach speak for saying we're not sure what we're doing or that we're just hoping for the best. Um, I, I choose to be optimistic about that at least until proven otherwise. Well, and it also means that you think you have enough depth so that you have that the guy you have at middle linebacker for third and three is different than the guy you have at linebacker for third and seven is that, you know, one of those guys can cover the tight end and we are pretty confident that we got that the tight end is going to get covered. And one of those guys is going to be better at smashing the line. And we see substitution in ways that we even 10 years ago, we didn't see. Yeah. And so when you say player friendly, what you also mean is that players are going to be in for plays where where they are more likely to be able to be successful. So player friendly, sometimes maybe nickel or dime. Yeah. Um, And sometimes it's going to be quarterback on an Island and send Carson Wells to try to beat the defense, beat the tackle and make sure there isn't time to throw deep. Yeah. Well, and maybe that was, you know, the football school that preceded the spring practices had a lot to do with that education so that they can put it into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, another question we got from Robert. Uh, thanks, Robert, for this. I think it's an interesting question. Do you think CU gained or lost with the two defensive and one offensive additions to the portal versus a player that were le- that left via the portal? So, and they also added on, other than Katie Nixon, do you think Coach Durrell wanted any of them to stay? 
And I think the second part of that question is more interesting than the first part, but let's talk about the first one. So putting names to it, I think the additions you're talking about is quarterback JT Shrout and Jack Lamb and Robert Barnes on the defensive side. The losses, quarterback Tyler Hansen, running back Jerry Mangum, linebacker Akil Jones, of course, Katie Nixon. And of course, if you want to then throw into that, Antonio Alfano, who never even was on the sideline as a buff. Jason Harris, defensive lineman, went back to Arizona. K.J. Torrio and Darian Rakestraw from the defensive backfield. So I guess the first, let's do the first one first. From what was lost in terms of numbers, there are obviously more losses than gains, but CU has a lot of scholarships that they have to account for. We're still trying to get down to 88. So before we get any more transfers in, we got to trim down. Positive plus negative. Um, what's the the balance on the, the transfer portal for the University of Colorado in 2021? I don't see it as a close call. It's, it's obviously positive. Yeah. I would reject the second half of the premise that KD was somebody that Dar- that Karch Dorrell was going to kill to have. He couldn't keep the freshmen and the young players off the field last year. Um, and there are quotes in there about how KD tended to dominate that room. And now other players are stepping up to do that. I would say Darian Rakestraw is perhaps more of a loss. We don't know how that backfield is going to look. But with what we're already hearing about Robert Barnes, with JD, JT Shrout bringing experienced backup into the quarterback room, I just don't see how, you, how it's even close. If Barnes can start, if Lamb can start in particular, then it's just an absolute wipeout. Those are better players than what we lost. Yeah. No, I, I I would tend to agree. And again, you're looking through the world through black and gold colored glasses. But I I guess one way of judging it, Robert, I mean, yes, Katie Nixon going to USC is an outlier. I did not see that coming. I would not have expected that. I will be very surprised if Katie Nixon is a star for the Trojans. But we will see how that plays out. And he's coming back to Boulder in October. So we'll see what sort of a factor he is. But Darian Rakestraw ended up at Tulane. Uh, Mangum went to South Florida doing the Daryl Scott thing. And Tyler Lyle ended up at UMass, which is probably number 130 out of 130 in FBS schools. So in terms of where these players went, Jason Harris went back to Arizona. But again, I think that's kind of with an asterisk because he was from there and his brother plays for the Wildcats. I don't think that was such a as a lateral move as much as Jason Harris just Jason Harris is going home. But yeah, that the fact that CU picked up transfers in areas of need. Now, if we can still get a left tackle or a safety in the transfer portal going forward, yeah, that's great. But they aren't exactly minting those. Um, you know, they, if they are quality players, they probably already have a home. Um, so we're going to play with what we got. And yes, I, I, I tend to agree that, you know, in terms of just maybe bodies in the room, having Darian Rakestraw and maybe Akil Jones at linebacker, because we don't know what's going to happen with Lamb. We don't know what's going to happen with Barnes. But yeah, it does seem, at least on paper, to be a step up in talent. But if I could have kept, if we didn't have problems with scholarship numbers, could we have kept Akil Jones in the for depth? Could we have kept Darian Rakestraw for depth? 
Uh, absolutely. I, I would love to have, you know, wouldn't mind having those players. But the question, you know, do you think Katie, in this case, Carl Durrell, wanted any of them to stay? Well, I think we're going to be asking that question about some players that we're going to be losing that are on the roster right now. Carl Durrell mentioned this this past week that, oh, by the way, we have 12 tight ends. <laughs> And five we're of them not going to August with 12 tight ends. Five of them are walk-ons. And, but there's, you know, even with walk-ons, you only have so many walk-ons on the, on the roster. You know, you're looking at it. some teams, 105, some teams, 120, but out of the 85 scholarships, you're only going to have another 35 walk-ons. You're not just going to have walk-ons for the sake of having walk-ons. You've got to have them contributing. And he said, and basically said, yeah, we're not going to have 12 tight ends come August. And yeah, that makes perfect sense. Even you know, if this was the year of the tight end that we've been waiting for for 15 years, we still wouldn't have 12 tight ends. Um, so there's going to be some attrition there, perhaps at the running back, and say, well, if we lose one or two of the running backs that decide that they can get more playing time elsewhere, that's probably not an indictment of CU. That's a uh, a statement that there are a lot of good quality running backs at the University of Colorado. And same for the, run, the wide receiver room. There might be some losses there just because the coaches are going to go to them and say, yes, we'd love to have you, but we have to have 88 scholarship players. And the, the reality is you're not going to be playing very much. So maybe take advantage of the fact that you can transfer and play right away now. That is now the, the law of the land. But that being said, there are a lot of players that are going to be in the transfer portal that are not going to find a place to sit when the music stops. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a really weird summer that there are just not enough scholarships to go around. And there are going to be some quality players that are not going to find a home. We're going to end up playing for FCS schools. Um, we might end up playing somebody at Northern Colorado. You know, we might have some of our players end up playing against us in September. So, yeah, I don't think that losing Akil Jones, Katie Nixon, Tyler Hansen, I, I don't know if you can take your favorites out of that, but I don't think, it, you know, they were excited to lose anybody. You always want to keep everybody. You're a family and you want to have your family be happy, but there's only so many scholarships. There's only so much room in each unit, and it's going to be in the best interest of both the University of Colorado and some of these players to play elsewhere, and that's just reality. So I think I agree with you on the transfer portal scales right now. I think you have to say University of Colorado in year one of this major seismic shift in the transfer portal is looking pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's always in the playing, but we're going to just continue to see We're going to have kids who'd rather play all the games at an FCS than, you know, a third of the snaps at an FBS or not at all. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I, uh, as much as I love college football, as much as I love for CU to keep everybody, I think that this new method, this new process is going to work out better in the long run for more players. And I have trouble being opposed to that. Okay. Well, 
any words of wisdom? I think we've probably kept everybody long enough for this particular podcast. We're going to come back after the spring game, wrap up the spring, and then we'll start looking towards the off season and what's going to come next for the roster. And of course the preseason magazines, which, Hey, wait for it. We're see who's going to be picked fifth. Just call me Nostradamus. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. You know, my prediction, uh, but any words of wisdom before I let you go? Now is the time for hope. Why wouldn't you be excited? Why wouldn't you be happy that the, there's good stuff coming out of spring practice, that the coaches seem optimistic and the team seems to be working together. Um, there will be times come October, November, December, where we'll perhaps not be talking about great moments. So this is, uh, this is the spring to be enjoyable. And the Rockies are literally as bad as any team in baseball. So join the buffs. <laughs> <laughs> Well, our next podcast, if no, no other reason to look forward to it, we're actually going to be together for it. Um, I'll be down there in a few weeks, so I'm looking forward to seeing you and your family. And between now and then, take care. You as well, my friend. Stay dry, stay warm. Thank you for being a part of the See You at the Game family and for listening to this podcast. Brad and I will be back in a few weeks with a recap of the See You Spring Showcase and set the stage for our plans for the website for the coming months, leading up to the Buffs opener against Northern Colorado on September 3rd. I hope this podcast finds you and yours healthy and happy and enjoying the spring. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.